0: Welcome, you are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. All right, a couple of things to get us started this morning, a couple of warnings I'm going to give to you the first warning is this, um, that I'm going to get a little bit preachy today. Okay, That might sound strange since I'm the preacher, but I'm going to get preachy today. And then I'm also going to warn you that you're going to have to buckle in okay, and you're going to have to put your ears on and turn your brains up to 11 because I'm also going to get a bit teachy. A little bit later on this morning, all right? So I'm going to get preachy and teachy, but I'll try not to be pushy or touchy this morning, okay? All right, so that's your first warning. And then the second thing that I need to mention this morning is that, um, so this week I was sick. My family was sick early on in the week. And then it came to Thursday, and I was supposed to be preparing a sermon for this week. And all of a sudden I, because I'd been out of commission, I hadn't been in the Word And I hadn't been reading through Mark's gospel. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was lost, okay? I felt disorientated. Um, And so I don't know if you ever feel like that. Maybe you walk into church on a Sunday, and you're like, okay, where are we at today? Oh, yeah, the next three verses that we didn't do last week, okay? Maybe you feel like that sometimes, and that's okay. uh, Because I know that the way that we study the Word together can be a bit slow sometimes, all right? Um, But... Here's a good reason why we do that. We don't just do that because we're like putting some kind of law down on ourselves that says this is the only way that we can study God's word. That's not what's happening. What is happening is I think for each and every one of us, we can learn deeply from studying God's word in this way. Uh, And I'll tell you how I do this, okay, Uh, or what I do, not that it always works, but what I do is... I read through Mark's gospel, or I listen to Mark's gospel. You know, you can get an app on your phone, and audio Bibles are for free. I know you can get the New Living Translation and the NIV and the ESV all for free on your phone if you download an app for it, okay? Um, And I just listen to that. So I've probably listened to the gospel of Mark 20 or 30 times since we started this series, okay? Okay. Uh, and then I I've, I've keep reading through the first eight chapters. I just read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. And you can do that too, and you should be doing that. As we study together, just keep rereading what we've already studied. Read what we're about to study. So that way, um, when you come in on a Sunday, and you're like, okay, what are we talking about? Oh, Mark. Man, weren't we there for the last eight weeks? You can say instead, okay... No, I remember what came before this and I know what's coming after this. And it's going to drill God's Word deeper into your heart and into your soul. So don't grow weary of the Word. Uh, Let this be a practice that teaches you. Okay, Let this be a practice that trains you. We've been looking at three themes in Mark's Gospel. A king, his kingdom, and a call to discipleship. A call to follow Jesus, to repent and believe. Last week, our big idea was this things have changed for better and for good. Jesus is your righteousness. And we need to apply that big idea to this week, okay? Uh, Because this week, the reason why I say I'm going to get preachy and teachy is because Jesus, whether it looks like it or not, goes really deep into things that Jews believed and that we believe as well. And it can be hard to sort through all of it. So keep in mind this week, things have changed for better and for good and that Jesus is your righteousness. But then this week, we also need to remember this. God has made a time for you to practice resting in Christ. God has made a time for you to practice resting in Christ, right? Each and every week, I say, hey, this week, today, rest in and rely upon Jesus. And rely, what we're talking about there is repent and believe, follow. But what is this rest part of it that I'm always saying? And today we want to look at that. We want to look at what resting in Jesus means. So he has made a time for us to practice resting in Jesus. He has not made a time, however, to rest from doing good. These are our, this is our big idea for this week. So... Derek, thank you for reading the text, and I'll tell you what, you read the right one. I gave you the right one. I feel like we're really hitting on all cylinders this morning, Uh, really hitting on all cylinders this morning, okay? Um, Let's go back through this text real quick, though, and just pull out some observations before we start figuring out what this means for you and for me. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Time out. Wait a second. Is that that even true? Do we even know that? I don't know about you. I read that, though, and I'm going to take the Pharisees' word for it, and I'm going to say, hey, wait a second why are the disciples doing what's not supposed to be done? Well, let's look at what's allowed to be done. If you, you don't have to turn there right now, but Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 24 and 25. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. Okay, so go into a field, eat the grapes, I don't know wine grapes. That actually sounds a little bit gross to me. Okay, but you know, fill. Don't fill your bag, but you can fill your stomach as you go. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you know, for making bread or porridge, uh, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Basically, you can't take a combine into your neighbor's field and just start taking all of his produce. Okay, so. You can be blessed by your neighbor. Why? Because it's a part of God's law. What if the neighbor does, no, your neighbor does know it because it's allowed by the law? So what are the Pharisees doing here? Well, it's exactly what they're going to do in chapter, at the beginning of chapter 3 too. They are putting law on top of law on top of law. Okay, it would be like this. If you told me, Wade, you're not allowed to eat chocolate for a week. Okay, I, I, I don't like that law. Okay, I don't like that law. But let's say that I say, okay, I'm going to not eat chocolate for a week. Truth be known, I'm going to be a Pharisee in this because if I go into the food zone or to the engine station or the mall or in town, chocolate is everywhere. And I'm going to say, oh, man, I'm, I'll just have a little piece of chocolate, right? Because that's what law does. It makes us want to break the law. Right? Okay, and so, so what am I going to do? I'm going to say, okay, Wade, you can't eat chocolate this week. Therefore, you cannot go into a store that sells chocolate this week. Law. And you know what? Everyone in your family cannot go into a store that sells chocolate this week because you might be tempted to bribe them to go and get you chocolate. And you know what, Wade? You are not going to have contact with anyone this week that eats chocolate because you don't want to smell it on them and be tempted. This is what the Pharisees are doing. Is it a law that you can't go into the field? No, you should go into the field. The law is that you do go into the field. And that you do eat the grain and you do get your fill. But the Pharisees are making laws for themselves to say, oh, well, you know, uh, I would hate to be farming on the Sabbath day, which was a Saturday for Jews. I would hate to be farming on a Sabbath day. Uh, I would hate to be even getting close to that line of breaking God's law. Therefore... It's breaking the law to do what the law says. So are the disciples breaking the law? Is Jesus breaking the law? No. But they're breaking the Pharisees' law. Right? They're breaking a person's law, but not God's law. And Now, this is where it gets a little bit perplexing. Because uh, they asked a question, and it seems like Jesus could, I mean, this is what he did to Satan, right? He just shouted Deuteronomy back to Satan and said, bam, I defeated evil, okay? (laughs) He could have done that, but he doesn't quote Deuteronomy. What does he do? He pulls an obscure passage from 1 Samuel, and we find it in Kings as well. He pulls an obscure idea from 1 Samuel that seems totally out of nowhere, and instead of simply Getting into a fire fight with God's law, Jesus takes a can of petrol and he throws it on top of the fire of the Pharisees' anger. And let's see how he does that. He said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God? In the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presents, which it was not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, there's a lot going on here. And if we wanted to spend, we could spend all today on this, okay, we could take a lunch break and come back and still spend time on this. We're not going to do that. However, here's the story. David, he's on the run. And hold on, why would Jesus bring up David to begin with? Everyone loves David. Now, we all know David, right? We know his sins. We know his issues. And yet, we love teaching David to the kids. We love reading the Psalms and learning about David for ourselves. Why? Everyone loves David. The Pharisees loved David. He was a man after God's own heart, right? So what are the Pharisees going to say when Jesus says, don't you remember what David did? You mean, our golden boy, David? Yeah, well, no, of course we know what he did. Of course we know what he did. What are you talking about, though? Jesus says, well, hey, look, remember that time? Saul's chasing him. He and his men are hungry. Why is Saul chasing him? Because David is soon to be the rightful king. And Saul wants to kill him. And they have no food. They go into the temple, and there's this priest here. And this is, and I'll just warn you, this is one part of the Bible where if people want to um, say that there's a uh, really three places in the Bible where people would say, "Hold on, this is a mistake. This is historically inaccurate, and the Bible's false." This is actually weirdly enough one of those places. Uh, it's because Jesus is doing something funny here. Okay, and we'll, we'll get to that. But basically, they eat this bread. And it's sacred bread, but don't let that fool you. The bread would have been pretty disgusting, okay? Usually it sat there for a whole week. It was cooked with different uh, frankincense, and it would have smelled strange and tasted strange. This was not a, a, a real present to David and his friends. But here's what it was. This was God providing for David and his friends. The rightful king. This was God providing. This is like God providing for his people out in the wilderness, bread falling from the sky. This is what it was like for David. He walks into the temple, and you know what Jesus does? He approves of what David did here. And in the same way, Jesus isn't just going to quote Deuteronomy. What he's saying instead is that, look, here's the big idea. One priest's rule is going to end. That's what happens because that priest gets killed for taking David in. Uh, And there's going to be a new priesthood. And Jesus says, also, I'm the true David. I'm the new David. I am the true and forever king of God's people. So let me just say that one more time. Look, David was the true king in waiting. And he and his friends had been set apart by God and they were in need. This bread was specifically for someone that was in need, a provision by God. And Jesus is simply agreeing with David's actions and then taking that story and interpreting it, teaching it um, through the story of Israel's greatest king. He is saying in the hidden way that he does in Mark's gospel, I am the new David, these guys, the disciples, are my men so they can eat whatever they want to. It's allowed by God. Which, Jesus didn't just say that, hey, no, I'm obeying the law, guys. Be, be honest with yourselves. He says, yeah, I'm obeying the law, and I am the new David. <laughs> they wanted to pick a little fight, and Jesus just threw the whole can of petrol on the fire. And he's basically saying to the Pharisees, look, is this, is this land not covered under God's law? It is. It is. Okay, there's a lot we could go into there. Uh, We're not going to right now. Um, But let's look at what Jesus had to say next. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It isn't a riddle, okay? He says, look, man wasn't made to rest. He wasn't made to rest. But God made a day for man to rest. Man wasn't made to rest, but God made a day for man to rest. Or the way that we're going to say it this morning, God has made a time for you to practice, to practice resting in Christ. God has made a time for you to practice resting in Christ. The Lord's Day, so here we're talking about the Sabbath. That's a Saturday for Jews. Um, after Jesus rises from the dead, Christians, that is people, Jewish Christians, Jews that are following Christ, no longer meet together on a Saturday. Rather, they meet together on a Sunday, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so for us as Christians today, we can use the word Sabbath. We also can say the Lord's Day. Okay? These are two words that for us are the same thing, and yet for a Jew, it would be something very different. Um, and we can take from this, though, that the Lord's Day was made to be a blessing not a burden. God created the Sabbath to give his people a break from striving, from working. And the Pharisees knew this. And that's, that's really, at their heart of hearts, what they originally wanted to do is they wanted to keep people from working on a Sabbath day. They wanted to protect people and they wanted to obey God's law. Look, we read this um, in the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day. So this is a a law of God that, although changed a little bit for us today, stands, okay? And we're going to look at how it still stands. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. So a rest day, a day of resting in God. To God. On it you shall not do any work, uh, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Okay, everyone gets the day off. Everyone gets the day off, but for a purpose. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what is the Sabbath day? How are we to use it if it's a day off for everyone? It's to be used for holy purposes. And we'll touch on that again in just a little bit. But the Pharisees instead wanted to say that, no, there was a day that was made, and you've got to live up to that day. In fact, you have to work to make sure that you're meeting all the requirements of a day. That's an insane thing to say. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that, no, man was not made for this day of rest. You don't have to follow the laws of the Pharisees. You don't have to stay away from the field of grain because you're not allowed to harvest. You should cook, you should eat, you should enjoy time with your family, you should go to the synagogue and worship, you should worship in your home, but you don't have to live up to somehow these standards of a day. What does this mean for us? Uh, Look, this means that a Sunday should be restful for us, Uh, or if you have to work on a Sunday, which... my previous two jobs, I've, I also had to work on Sundays, at nighttime, or early in the morning on Sundays, so I know how that is, okay? And yet, it's a day that somehow you set aside for God, okay? and we'll come back to that. It's not a day that's made extra special, extra holy by what it is that you're doing. It's a day that was made holy by God. See, these Pharisees were so busy guarding themselves, trying not to break the law, that they forgot that it was God that takes their burdens. Right? And we know this. Even God's people looked at sacrificing. We saw this in Isaiah. As a burden. They just did it. And they did it to the best of their ability. We have sacrificed the best animal to you. Despite the fact that their hearts were not seeking forgiveness from God. And the same is true here. The Pharisees are saying, look, we're sacrificing our day for you, God. And yet the reality is that what is that day supposed to be? It's a day where God takes up his people's burdens and reminds them, no, I'm the one that gives you rest. In Christ, this very fuzzy picture of rest becomes clear as day. It becomes clear as day that he is the one that takes our burdens, right? We'll come back to it. Then in Mark chapter 3, we see this. Again, he entered the synagogue, so another, another Lord's Day, another scene Mark's dropping us into. There was a man with a withered hand, and they, the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether, they would heal, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, listen here, listen, to see whether he may. They know that Jesus can. They're not doubting his ability. In fact, they are banking on the fact that Jesus has a heart, okay? They're banking on the fact that Jesus shows mercy and loves others, It's almost, and we're going to see this in a second, it's almost like saying that you hate people that love other people. Okay, (laughs) That's what they're doing. They're saying, oh, this this man, he better not love other people right now. Do you get like that sometimes? I know this sounds kind of abstract, but I feel like this sometimes, right? Because there are some people in this world that do things for their own glory. They they help other people so that they will be made big. And yet the reality is that we see in Scripture that, yeah, people do that, and God will still somehow use it to his glory. And yet what's my first inclination? It's like, ah, that selfish person. How dare he love other people? How dare she love other people, right? (laughs) That's kind of what the Pharisees are accusing someone of here. And Jesus is going to call him out for it. And so Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And then he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. They knew the answer to that. Just like you and I know the answer to that. Because the truth is, um, and, <laughs> and There's a part of me that thought this is what Sabbathing Lord's Day was all about when I was a kid, right? It was like a day where I could just go to church and then I got to go home and I put my pajamas on and then I got to watch TV all day long, right? Okay? Because I'm resting today. This is a day of rest. (laughs) But we're not prohibited from doing good on the Lord's Day. And this is what Jesus is saying here. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved, saddened at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. This is the man with the hurt hand, stretched out his hand and was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. In Luke's uh, accounting of a situation like this, uh, it, it goes like this: And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, "Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not?" But they remained silent. And then he took them. Then he took took him, the crippled man, and healed him, and sent him away. And said to them, "Which of you, having a son or an ox?" I love that, right? The child is compared to the, to the livestock that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day would not immediately go and pull them out. Why? Well, because if your son, who's probably working on the farm, or your ox that's working on the farm falls into a well, you've got a couple of problems. One, your water's going to be destroyed, okay? And secondly, you're going to lose your son, or an animal, and then your work is going to be destroyed and you can't provide for your family anymore. Right? It's a good thing to go out and rescue your son. It's a good thing to go and pull that animal up out of the water so it doesn't die in there and ruin everything. So Jesus is saying, no, do good on the Sabbath. You would do good on the Sabbath if you weren't talking to me, judging Me, judging my actions and thinking evil thoughts. So, Jesus got angry. Is it okay to get angry on the Sabbath? I don't know. Jesus got angry on the Sabbath. And he was saddened on the Sabbath. He was literally, it's almost like he's convicted for these lost sheep. They should feel conviction about their sinful hearts and thoughts, just like we should when we come into church on the Lord's Day and we worship and we hear God's Word. But they weren't. And instead, Jesus felt the conviction for them. He's grieved by their hardness towards Him, towards this good day that He made for them, towards their willingness to misuse, abuse, and weaponize the law against other people. He's angry and saddened by this. And we were reminded last week, and we'll be reminded pretty regularly from here on out, what does this anger lead to? It leads to words like, woe to you, you hypocrites. Now interestingly enough, Jesus asks, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Of course the answer is yes. Or to do harm? to save a life or to kill. And the Pharisees at this point are so hardened that they go and do exactly the opposite of what God's law would require of them. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. Who are these Herodians? These are people that are Joyfully following after the king of the Romans, or the, the governor of the Romans, right? The guy that's put, been put in charge over the Jews. Look, here is Jesus who has already claimed to be the Son of Man, this, this king that would come and forever reign and bring all nations to himself from the book of Daniel. And they know that. They know that Jesus claims to be that person. They know that Jesus claims to be this anointed one in some way. And yet they're going to go and they're going to team up with other Jews who already claim this little king given by Rome, the enemy of God, the enemy of God's people, to kill the rightful son of man, the rightful king. So is it lawful to do good or to kill? They choose to kill. Here, look, something we learn here is that things changing for the better, for good, make people angry. The Pharisees are upset with Jesus. He's overturning their teaching. He's Coming very close to what they see as breaking the law, and yet he's being obedient to the law. He's leading his disciples to live obedient lives. And in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, here, uh, we could ask ourselves what does God require of us from this passage? Well, we already looked at the fourth commandment, um, but we could also very simply say, and I think that this is what Jesus was saying in a way, um, what does God require of us on the Lord's day? Very similar to what he requires of us every other day. He has told us what is good and is required to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Micah 6.8, this could have been Jesus' answer, and in effect was Jesus' answer. It was just and good and merciful that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath so that his hand would work and that he could go out and find employment and provide for his family or whatever it is that he's providing for. It was good and merciful and just. Okay. So let's, let's zoom back out here for a second. And we want to just look at this idea of the Sabbath, of the Lord's Day, for just three or four minutes, okay? Um, what does God require in the fourth commandment? And this is from a little uh, catechism. It's a teaching tool to help us memorize something, okay? And it says this, On the Sabbath day, we spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from routine employment, serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Whoa, eternal Sabbath, what are we talking about here? What's going on? Let's sort that out. That's what we want to look at this morning. Um, we, we've talked about this before. What do we do as a church on a Sunday? Um, the how of the local church. Well, in order to experience the grace shown to us by God um, in Jesus's work and the word of God, we must uh, preach, right? We must be reading and preaching the word of God. These are God's primary means of revealing himself to us. We must be praying God's word. Uh, This is the knowledge of God through his word, rightly understanding who God is, speaking to him the way that he wants to be spoken to. We must use God's word in praise, singing um, the word in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, encouraging one another, helping one another grow. We must see the word pictured in the sacraments or the ordinances. Lord's Supper and baptism. We use these small tools, really, Uh, We use God's word in these ways in order to grow together and to strengthen each other together. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to read all of Hebrews chapter 4, even though I would love to, but actually my kids have these uh, these songs that it puts scripture to to song, and they're... um, Not exactly easy to sing, okay? Uh, And so I'm not going to sing it for you this morning. uh, But this one is called Sabbath Rest. And I'm going to just read it as a poem, if you will. And what this is talking about is in Hebrews chapter 4, this is a summary of the argument that the writer of the letter to the Hebrews has made in chapters 1 through 3, and then in chapter 4. There remains a Sabbath rest, For the people of God, for in six days God made the heavens and the earth, then he rested. The seventh day from all of his own work. He who enters God's rest also rests from his own works. Make every effort to enter that rest so that you will not fall. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone before us, Jesus, the Son of God, let let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. He was tempted like us, yet without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy in our time of need. Rest in Jesus. This is in essence what Hebrews chapter 4 is saying, is that for us that know Jesus as our Savior, even though we can find our rest on a particular day of the week now, on the Lord's Day, a day where we come together and we worship, We might find, and I know that I find, that this day of the Lord's day of Sabbath rest is not restful all the time, right? right. Doing church, doing kids' church, going home. Um, Look, if you get a nap on a Sunday, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you. Take an extra long one and put my name on the second half of it, okay? Uh, I don't usually get a nap, and that's okay. It's okay because it's not about napping, Even though that's a good thing, and if you can do it, you should. We find our rest in Jesus. See, God has made a time for us to practice resting in him. That's a Sunday for us. That's a Lord's Day for us. That's church for us. We practice resting in Jesus. We practice constantly putting our faith in Jesus. One theologian and pastor says it this way. If we read the entire Bible, Old and New Testaments, we come to see that the command to remember the Sabbath day has two parts. First, it's a very important practice. In our lives, we are commanded to have a rhythm of work and rest. Work and rest. And we are forbidden to overwork. Believe that? (laughs) We are also commanded to nurture our bodies and our souls. We're not supposed to nurture only our bodies, right? By watching TV and eating junk food and taking naps on a Sunday, although that can be a good thing sometimes. (laughs) We're not supposed to nurture our bodies only. We're to rejuvenate our souls through fellowship and through prayer and devotion and worship every single week. We are also, uh, it is also true, however, That the New Testament shows us that the Sabbath day points to a deeper kind of rest. Hebrews 4 in particular says that when we believe in Christ and the gospel, we rest from our works. What were the Pharisees doing? They were working for it. They were working to get saved. They were saying, God, I don't even need to sacrifice. Look at how holy I am. I don't even walk near the field that I'm allowed to pick from. I don't even do good on the Sabbath. I do nothing on the Sabbath. That's what the Pharisees were saying. Instead, we rest from our works. Our works don't save us, that is. Jesus saves us each and every Lord's Day, each and every Sunday, any time we have the opportunity to be reminded of the rest that we have in Christ, we are reminded that we rest from trying to work our way to heaven that Jesus has already done it for us. This means the great burden of having to prove ourselves and earn our salvation is lifted from us. In this life, we can get much of that deeper rest. And yet it's only completely realized in the future, in the new heavens, and the new earth. And when we look for that and we wait for it and we long for it, it can be deeply consoling, especially at times when we are weary. Just as God entered into rest after six days of work, so also we enter into his rest when we enter into his salvation. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is to the Pharisees, too. Hey, look, Pharisees, if you're working your way to heaven, come to me. I know you're weary. Hey, you guys, working out in a field on a, on a Saturday, on a Monday through Saturday, you're tired. Come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus lifts the burden of us saving ourselves off of our shoulders, because we can't do it, and we will be forever weighed down into with it. So what do we learn here today? We learn that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. If you're looking for rest, if you're looking for a way to have a burden lifted off of your shoulders, look, I got about half the amount of time to prepare this sermon today as I do every other sermon. And you know what? This sermon was so much easier to prepare. You may not have understood any of it, I don't know. But, but why was it easier to prepare? Tell you why, because I was reminded in the day and a half that I did have that this sermon was not about me working my way to being more holy with God. This sermon was about reminding me and about reminding you of the rest that Jesus offers to us in our salvation. God has made a time for you to practice resting in Christ, He has not made a time. For you and for I to rest from doing good. There's our big idea for this week. Christian, in case you forgot, this week, as you're laboring away, you have rest and peace in Jesus. When you come into contact with people this week that don't know Jesus, they are weighed down. They are weighed down with the weight of their sin. They are weighed down with the weight of trying to figure out how it is they're going to get through tomorrow. How it is that they're going to somehow save themselves either in eternity or in this life now. But for you and I, that Burden, that yoke is taken on Christ and lifted off of us. Right? You are forgiven. So when I say rest in and rely upon Jesus, what I mean is that your rest is in your salvation, and your rest is Christ. You no longer have to worry about working yourself to him or to anybody else. You're free from that. And yet it is our duty and it is our great pleasure to invite others to rely upon Jesus and to find their rest in him. To repent and believe. To follow. All these words that Jesus is using to invite people to himself. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing together. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus who is our Sabbath rest. God, thank you so much that though we were once heavy laden and worn out from our labors, you saved us from that. You lifted that off of us. Our sin went onto your son's shoulders. God, thank you for that. Please, Lord, remind us of that today and tomorrow and all week long. That we can have rest And we find it in you. We don't find it in the television. We don't find it in a drink. We don't find it out with other people necessarily. But we find it in your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for that. Thank you for the rest that we have in him. We love you. We thank you for this day together. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.